Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, here with another post-race edition of the NASCAR NBC podcast from the Charlotte studio. We're talking here after the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval race with our resident NASCAR Hall of Famer, Dale Jarrett. And DJ, another uneventful race at the Roval, the cutoff race for round two in the NASCAR playoffs. A ton of stuff happened, and uh, we're going to get to all of it. I want to talk about Kyle Larson's win, William Byron nearly winning this race. But we're going to start clearly with Kevin Harvick and Chase Elliott. Kevin Harvick wrecks out with 11 laps to go after he had wrecked Chase Elliott earlier in the race and appeared to have knocked Chase Elliott out of the playoffs. It actually didn't happen. Elliott ends up advancing. Unfortunately, we didn't get much in the way of explanation from either driver about what happened, aside from a few memorable one-liners. Was that retaliation for Bristol? Um, Speaking out the nine, Chase Elliott? You know, sometimes sometimes real life teaches you good lessons. Uh, I mean, as far as Kevin goes, just want to wish them uh, a uh, merry off-season and a happy Christmas. I'm glad you're here again as our resident Hall of Famer for all the analysis on what transpired in both of these wrecks, because obviously you've got great perspective. Harvick left little doubt that his wreck of Chase Elliott was intentional. Seeing the replay of Harvick wrecking Elliott, what were your impressions of what happened there and and what his decision was? You know, I I think until the time that we saw Harvick's interview, you, you could have made the case as a driver. I could have made the case that, hey, I I beat him back to the gas and he might have spun his tires a little bit or was too close to the car in front, couldn't go as quickly as I did, and I ran into the back of him. That would have been very believable, in in my opinion, as a driver. Now, did I think that watching it? No, 100%. I, I was pretty sure that... Kevin Harvick did exactly what he meant to do at that point in time. Uh, Because you could tell after everything transpired from Bristol, moving on to Las Vegas, the meeting, you could still tell that Kevin Harvick, had this wasn't over for him. He had something that, not saying he had anything planned, it was just going to be if the moment presented itself uh, that he could make a statement back. But but he wasn't going to forget this. And so when you saw it happen, you kind of knew it. But when he, his explanation in the interview, Mm -hmm. then you knew 100%, you know, what it was and that he had done that intentionally. And, you know, quite honestly, as a competitor, I don't have a problem with what he did. I I don't put it 
in the in the same sense as what we saw with Matt Kenseth and Joey Logano a few years ago at Martinsville, uh, because that was someone coming back on the track with a crashed race car and waiting on someone. The, it, again, this, in my opinion, was uh, enough in a racing situation hmm. that if Kevin Harvick wanted to say, "Hey, I, I didn't do that on purpose," you know, that was just that's what happened, and unfortunately, it happened to be that driver. I, I could have believed that. Because it just sort of happened during the natural course yes. of the race. Yes. As opposed to, like you said, Kenseth was nine yes. laps down when he yes. wrecked Joey Logano. Yeah, so I don't put the two together whatsoever. But there was little doubt, you know. I, like I said, you could make the case. It, not that I was going to believe it, that he didn't do it intentionally, because uh, you just felt that there was going to be a time, and, and that time happened to be there. And, and I think that Kevin in his mind saw that, you cost me a win. I haven't won in a year. You cost me, in Kevin Harvick's mind, Chase Elliott cost him a chance to, of breaking what he will look at as a losing streak right at this point in time. That that was his chance to win at Bristol. And so I think he was saying, this is where I can make it to where he doesn't advance to this next round. Hmm. And uh, yeah, that was the perfect opportunity, I believe, in his mind. And that was uh, three weeks ago at Bristol Motor Speedway where Harvick had made contact with Chase Elliott while they were racing for the lead. Chase Elliott cuts a tire, comes back on the track a couple of laps down, and essentially takes Harvick's line away. And I think you're right that he had merit to that argument that Chase doesn't take that line away at Bristol. Harvick probably wins that race. It doesn't go to Kyle Larson. So there, there was that lingering. You mentioned there that Harvick hadn't really disguised that there would probably be payback at some point and that it would happen when the moment presented itself. But did you think the moment would happen during these 10 races? <laughs> or did you think he might wait um, later on? Or I, You know, I, I don't know that I had a time. I'd, as you know, Kevin Harvick, I, I think that he is a tremendous competitor, a future Hall of Famer when he gives this up. He's had a tremendous career, but, you know, he has never been one to back down from anything at any time uh, in this. And so you, you had to think that it was going to be a big moment. Uh, a lot of drivers will wait to kind of everybody's put that aside and not thinking uh, it's like oh he's forgotten about that well you haven't and all of us have been in that situation that you know you wait long enough and the other competitors not expecting much less the fans but you know Harvick didn't leave much to that and then his words with the the teaching moment that yeah. that left little doubt as to what actually happened yeah he said uh, told Parker Kligerman sometimes real life teaches you good lessons a very cryptic statement but obvious what he meant and then he was asked in the radio interview right after that he was asked was that payback and Harvick said you remember Bristol that was the end of the interview so again there was little doubt about yes. what happened here do you think Chase was surprised do you think he thought it might be coming back on him in the playoffs no I, I would have to say that he was probably surprised at that point in time yeah uh, in, in the race at that point I you know he found himself in that situation I I, I really believe that he if, if he would have thought that there would have been other measures that he would have taken to get himself out of that situation hmm. uh, I believe if he could you know we don't know everything as far as what transpired in in getting those two cars lined up exactly like that. But uh, I, I feel sure that if he really thought that that may happen at that point in time, that, that he would have made some efforts uh, to, to get away at that time. Interesting. So that was part one, DJ, of Harvick and Elliott saga at the Roval. <laughs> part two happens with 11 laps to go, as I mentioned. Harvick wrecks when he locks up his left front going into turn one. 
he had just lost four positions on the track and mm-hmm. rapid fire situation and a course of like almost less than a lap. And so he, he said in his brief remarks afterward that he felt some pressure to make up spots, but Chase Elliott had closed to about two car lengths mm-hmm. on the lead lap and in position to take Kevin Harvick out for position as he entered turn one. So I'm sure, you know, that was coming down the front stretch. I'm sure Harvick was able to probably see the number nine if he's in his mirror. And I, I know the spotter told him that the number nine was back there. Uh, do you think that factored into Harvick blowing the turn, knowing that not only was he under this pressure of like, hey, I just lost some spots, I'm near the cut line, but I've also got the guy I wrecked earlier right behind me? So as speculation would go, I'm 100% convinced that that had something to do with it. Yes, I, I really believe because everybody on that racetrack – knows that that nine car and Chase Elliott can drive further into the corners than anybody else there and stay completely under control. Uh, That's what makes him so fast. You know, between something they have in their braking and something that he has in his ability allows that to happen. And I'm pretty sure that Kevin Harvick was looking to see was that going to happen at that time and probably made an effort to get a little further. He had time to pass these other cars and get those spots back. That didn't have to happen right at that moment. And uh, I just believe that in that quick glance, it, it only, as we've seen in the four races that have happened at the row, you only have to go a few feet too far into that corner and you find yourself into that wall exactly where Harvick went. So I think that was a major factor in, in that happening. I think that if the nine car's not coming there, I think, first of all, he was totally surprised <laughs> because he didn't have any <laughs> right. idea, as most of us did. That yeah. I, when I saw that car, I said, you know, he's totally crashed, and that team did a remarkable job, and, and then they got some good fortune, and we can have that discussion about the <laughs> the rear bumper fly, finally flying off. Uh, but Giving him the caution that he needed. Yes, that he needed to get <laughs> yeah. back there. So I don't yeah. think he ever expected to have that happen. You yeah. know, I, I think he was going to be more prepared thinking that if there was going to be retribution on that day, that Chase was going to have to slow down and wait on him. And so he could could see and, and plan for that. But to, to have him in his mirror, I think it took him by surprise. That's interesting. So Chase Elliott being pretty much the exquisite best-in-class road course racer he is, that knowing that he can go a little bit deeper in the corner coupled with the motivation of, I owe this guy one, yes. it made it natural to seem like that was going to yes. happen. We didn't get to answer this question either. I did ask Chase Elliott this question. I asked him if Harvick hadn't crashed and he had gotten to him. You, you were right behind him when he crashed. If you would have gotten to him before that, would you have wrecked him? I'm not sure. Chase said, I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, what do you think? I, I think that that was the intention. A- at the moment when things happen, you get so mad about something like that happening that you're ready at that point in time to go take care of it. You, you, know, you He didn't want this lingering. I, I'm sure that for the same reason that Kevin Harvick thought that he was keeping Chase from going into the round of eight, I think that Chase had the intention that if he got to that time and and that opportunity presented itself and his team told him that at that particular time that four car was close enough to make it, he wasn't going to allow that to happen too. So I think that that he definitely would have gone back. And I I don't – we could speculate all we want about would NASCAR have done anything as far as the the second one or something like that. It would have – had to been something pretty bad for, for them to jump in with that. I had to believe in my mind that he had every intention of knocking him out of the way at the very least and costing him a lot of spots. Yeah, it was coming, no question. So when I think Kevin Harvick, TJ, I think of savvy veteran. I think of someone much like yourself who 
seems to get better with experience. The longer he's been in Cup, the better he is, even now into his mid-40s. So to see him make this mistake, to me, DJ, was just it was stunning. I mean, it was so uncharacteristic. This is the guy that you know is called the closer because he's so good at just, he gets his mindset on something. He usually executes and he, and he seals the deal. Surprising to you to see him make that kind of mistake or is it understandable given all the circumstances we just talked about? Yeah, I, I think that, that he was not in the frame of mind that has made Kevin Harvick the champion. He had something else that was taking over his mind at that time, and, and that was what happened in that race. And then all of a sudden, you, you've got this situation to where here's this car that you thought you had gotten rid of for the day, and uh, here he is all of a sudden uh, on your bumper. And, uh, you know, what, what is going to happen? And so I think then you start trying to do things that in that quick instance that your car's not capable of. So the, the biggest thing with Kevin has been this year is he hasn't had the cars to, to do and showcase his talents. He's done an amazing job to even get himself to that point. And, and that's not sliding Rodney Childers or anyone else at that team. You know, they just they got behind and they haven't caught up. But because of the driver that they had, they were in a position to possibly advance to the round of eight somehow, some way. But I, I think that this whole thing had, took him out of the normal mindset that, that Kevin Harvick has and what has made him that champion. And, and you get caught up in that. I've seen pretty much every competitor that's ever come through this. We've seen every one. Uh, I don't care how many championships you've had. Uh, we, we've seen every one lose their cool and, and do things that kind of make us shake our heads sometimes. But uh, then that's when you understand that we're all human and uh, we get affected by the things that happened either before or in that particular day. And in this case, it was a couple of different uh, cases that it happened. It happened even to a champion like Harvick. And like you said, I, I think it's somewhat of a shame because I, I think he did earn the right to advance. Uh, yep. And and the season he's had, you're right, that he's carried that team, not just that team, but that organization in general. Stuart Haas Racing really just benefits from having an alpha dog and somebody so talented like Kevin Harvick carry them through 2021 and, and overcome their lack of speed. But He's out. Chase Elliott is still in. We both we asked both of them. Uh, Parker asked Kevin Harvick, you know, is it over? And Harvick wasn't having it. He just smiled yeah. and walked away. I asked Chase and others asked Chase, you know, is this over? And he went into his Bill Belichick, Marshawn Lynch routine <laughs> that we're on the Texas. I'm focused on doing my job. We're on the Texas. Dale Jr. said on the broadcast that the feud is over, DJ. So I'll ask you for your opinion. What do you think? Is this over? I'm not sure that it is. And I think that that it's probably mainly because Chase made it went on and, and Harvick realizes that he probably made a mistake at a critical time that cost him any chance of, of moving forward, that that could linger on with him. Now, I'm not saying – I don't think that it will be a situation to where Harvick puts a bumper to him again. I don't think that we look at that. But can he go to Texas and Kansas and Martinsville and in the right situation – make life miserable for Chase um, and, you know, hold him up as he thought he was. You know, I'll go back to Bristol for a second. You know, I realized that that was the line that was best for Kevin Harvick at that time of the race and for most drivers that were running fast was that upper lane uh, at Bristol that night. But he had two other lanes at least to try to make the pass back on Chase at that time. And I realize Chase had fresher tires, and but his car had been into the wall too. So so you can't put all of it on that. Uh, you right. know, The fact that he couldn't maneuver around him was the reason that he got himself in that situation. Right. So uh, you, you can't blame it all 
on that. And, and you had other slower cars running the same lane uh, that you had to maneuver around uh, throughout the night. So, right. you know, the fact was, but he had a he had someone to blame for that uh, at that particular time. I, I think that if, if the opportunity, if Kevin's car is fast enough in these next few races and he gets the chance just to hold him up or make him lose a few spots, I think that Kevin Harvick does that. I suspect you were right. I don't feel like it's over either. And one of the reasons I think that is because Burton and Dale Jr. were talking on the broadcast about how the best thing for Chase Elliott would be just let it go. Just put it behind you. It's done. And I think he did that for the most part afterward. Mm -hmm. But he also had the line about have a merry off season and a happy Christmas, <laughs> which he delivered to Kevin and his team. Uh -huh. And today, Chase Elliott's website is selling merry off season and happy Christmas shirts. <laughs> so uh, how do you think Kevin Harvick will react maybe to the interview and to the aftermath? To me, I don't think that's going to sit well with him. It is not. No. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, you, you have to sometimes think about who you're dealing with here. Kevin Harvick has done so much in this sport. You know, he's got nothing to lose in this situation at this point in time. Right. So, you know, I, I personally would have felt very fortunate that, first off, if I were Chase Elliott and his team, I'd feel fortunate in the fact that I didn't get black flagged and made to come in because – Kyle Petty and I were sitting there shaking our heads knowing of little pieces of aluminum that we had hanging off our cars back. <laughs> and I realized that many things have changed, but but yeah. back in our day, we would have been sent to pit road and you had to get that off because it could possibly bring out a caution for yep. the wrong reason. And to have that blowing in the wind for that long, I don't know how many laps it was. Uh, but it seemed like a long time. It was but at least four or five. Yeah, yeah, and laps take 90 seconds almost there. Yeah. Uh, so it, it seemed like forever that yeah. that was happening. Then, of course, it did come off, and it did bring out the caution. that, And it changed the, the whole direction of the race because William Byron was in there looking at winning the race and, and moving forward. So my point is that I would have been happy that we're in the round of eight, and I've just – keep my mouth shut from that point. But that, sometimes that's hard to do. Yeah. And those microphones, you know, you're the one, you, you, you put it up there because you yeah. know that yeah. if you stay there long enough, <laughs> all of us are going to say something stupid at some point or something that we regret and wish we right. hadn't said. That's why there's no cooling off period in NASCAR. <laughs> I mean, right. that's the way it's always been. There's no locker room. There's no chance to, like, gather your thoughts. That's what fans love about it is yeah. that unbridled emotion. And uh, that is the job of the journalist is to ask. It is. And, yeah. and you know, my, my other point Nate, is that you know, we talk about wanting and needing rivalries yeah. in the sport, you know, and, and that is what, you, I don't care which sport it is, you always want that and need that to make the competition better, to have things to talk about, to set up certain things that, that are going to come up. But one issue that I have is with a lot, and, and I'm not against the fans here, but so many want this, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden when it starts happening, well, it's the worst thing in the world. Why are they acting like this? Why did he do that? Well, this is what you wanted. This is right. what rivalries are about. And you you don't want these guys to get out and really fight, although some people do that. But, you know, the way that you have to get back at them is on the racetrack to affect their race. So you, you can't have both sides of it. Let's let the rivalries happen, and what happens with it are, is between those drivers and those teams and let them work it out. If you want to see emotions flaring and see ruffled feathers, be prepared for rumpled That's race right. cars. Yes. There's a huge cost that comes with it in yes. terms of guys running into each other on the track. There's no question about that. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. 
We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I want to get to what Rick Hendrick had to say about this, but before I do that, because you brought up the bumper cover, we should touch on that. So, yes, amazing repair job, DJ, by the number nine crew. The rear of the number nine Camaro was destroyed. They managed to get the spoiler and deck lid in place, and... The bumper cover was on initially, and then to your point, it started hanging off and was obviously was going to come off for four or five laps. NASCAR's explanation is, well, the bumper cover isn't required on road courses and short tracks, that if it's damaged and it comes off, no problem. I guess (laughs) my retort to that, and what I'd like to get your perspective on is, I thought that a black flag is supposed to be if you have something that potentially could cause unsafe conditions or cause somebody to run over it or, you know, God forbid it goes up in the stands or something like that, it doesn't matter if the part is required or not on a car. The determining factor should be, like, is it going to affect another car? And, you know, NASCAR, I think, had somewhat of an answer to that and that, like, oh, he wasn't in a pack of cars, he was by himself. But uh, I'll just give you the opportunity here. If that's any other car, if it's a non-playoff car, do you think that's a black flag and should it have been a black flag in this case? You know, it, yes. I, I believe fully that if that is a car, especially out of the playoffs, it is brought to pit road and, and made to repair. So I, I wondered about that because I think that they would have removed that rear bumper completely right. if they would have known that it wasn't required. Yeah, so that's a good point. That yeah. I, I think that they you know, are probably kicking themselves, although it worked to their favor uh, so in the way yeah. that it We don't want to imply here that they, they engineered it no, that no, way. No, they but, didn't. I'll say they it, didn't do that because they took a lot of time to tape it up right, and to make, right, it, make it stay right. there. But it is, if it's, even if it was required – with it hanging off, it's not doing the job that yeah. it's required to do. Yeah. So you should have to come in and take it off because it's going to affect the race in one way, shape, or form before that was over. There was no question he wasn't going to run until the end of the race with this flying around, you know, just at that speed. It wasn't going to happen. So you know it's going to come off, and, and then that affects everybody else. So why do you allow one car at that time? And I'm not even... I'm not saying there's favoritism there, but it makes you wonder, you know, would Harvick have gotten the same deal there at being a playoff car and trying to make it into that? I, yeah, I'm for everybody getting a fair chance. I just don't think that this was totally fit. We saw some cars spin out and a caution be thrown, and we saw others spin and no caution, uh, depending on the time. I I'd honestly believe, in, in my mind, and NASCAR has – an impossible job to please everyone, but they try to, you know, they tell us that they try to be as fair in officiating things to not affect the race. Uh, I think yesterday was one of their uh, not so 
better performances uh, in, in the booth up there uh, in making calls to uh, not affect this race. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that's been the case a few times at the Roval. They've seemed to struggle. It's this weird hybrid road course oval thing. And yeah, I, I can remember writing a couple years ago that maybe they need to have more officials around the track in terms mm-hmm. of throwing cautions. And it does seem like it's a tricky race for them to officiate. And could get even trickier in the future, as we mentioned, if the Harvick Elliott thing <laughs> continues. And I want to get your thoughts on what Rick Hendrick said. Rick Hendrick, Chase Elliott's car owner, he certainly wants this feud to be over sure. for obvious reasons. But he also has a history here as well. So I want to revisit what he said post-race. I hope it's over. Uh, you don't, We don't want to race that way. We want to just race. That's not our style. If a guy's better than you are, he wins. And just, just do your job. And if you get beat, you get beat. Never feels good to push somebody out of the way. I mean, a little rubbing or something, that's okay, but just to wreck somebody, that's not good. And then he was asked, DJ, if NASCAR should step in, and Hendrick said, Well, I think they're the only ones that can really stop it, and I hope they do, And because it's just the crew chiefs and everybody can do the best they can, but it's but it's up to the, up to the drivers themselves. And I've been in this situation before, and NASCAR can handle it. You have some perspective on this because you remember the days when Jeff Bodine, who raced for Rick Hendrick and Dale Earnhardt, had a war in the 1980s that basically led to the plot line for Days of Thunder when Bill French Jr. (laughs) had to sit Jeff Bodine and and Dale Earnhardt down to discuss it. Your thoughts knowing that history and, you know, what is next for NASCAR? NASCAR did say today that they want to calm things down, but they didn't say they're definitely going to meet with them. What what do you think should happen next? Well, I guess they have to see, first off, is there another movie in the making here? So, yeah, that's huge (laughs) money in itself and and opportunities for people. Someone should call Netflix. (laughs) Exactly. All joking aside, NASCAR is the one that can handle this right now. And they do need to step in at this point in time. Hmm. Say, guys, you've both done some things that maybe aren't in the best interest in looking and moving forward. It's done. We need this to end right here. And again, you can still, either one can still do subtle things that are going to go unnoticed a lot of times. You know, And we might not even pick it up. As far as the cameras go, we might not be paying attention to that. Although, pretty much going to have a camera on the meantime they're around each other but you know and, and the the situation might not present itself this year you know chase elliott's running really well harvick has struggled especially at the mile and a half and things that we have coming up uh even though they have been a little bit better lately so it might not even get to that but nascar needs to step in now and say look we don't need the rest of these playoffs to be about the two of you and the feud that you're having here if they can stop it for these next four races then there's a really good chance that the winter months will take care of everything and you don't want to go to Daytona 500 thinking about this uh, and and having your season start like that. And I think it would be over with. But they need to get involved uh, before the two of them hit the track at Texas. You raced at a time where there were no playoffs, but did it ever reach that point for you with another competitor where NASCAR had that sit down with you and someone else? Or? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. we sat down, yeah, and uh, yeah, and and had a talk. I mean, Ryan Newman and I had a discussion. Well, we had a problem at Bristol uh, one year, and then NASCAR sat us down at California and. Uh, we neither one of us were happy when we left. We we weren't satisfied, uh, but mm-hmm. we never had another problem. I think I think we when we left there, we weren't happy about the talk that we had, but then we had more respect because we said things to each other that weren't very nice in that meeting. But that's what the meetings are about to air that out. And then you know I, when I left there. I was still mad at Ryan Newman for what he did because he spun me out and crashed me and took me out of what were the playoffs at that time or or my chance to gain enough points to to stay in them. But I left that meeting 
uh, with the idea that things were over with then. You know, I wasn't looking to, to do anything else. I you know, had gone back out on the track and done my thing at Bristol, and, and so uh, I felt like it was over. And it was because of the meeting that we had with NASCAR. You know, they hollered at us to start with about it was over, and then they had us to air it out. And I think that would be very beneficial right now. We'll certainly keep an eye on that going into Texas the next race. Another driver, obviously, will be keeping an eye on, and I apologize to Kyle Larson for taking almost 30 <laughs> minutes to get to him here in the podcast, but you can't overlook what the number five driver did to win his seventh race of the season, DJ. He has this battery and alternator problem that causes him to fall below the cut line midway through the race, endangering the winningest driver in the Cup Series from advancing to the round of eight. I mean, we saw Harvick get knocked out before the championship four last year, but at least he made the third round. This would have yeah. just been unfathomable that Kyle Larson hadn't gotten out of the second round. So halfway through the race, Larson is in a very dark place. And he tells us afterward that early on when I was having all my issues, I was just kind of sad and depressed <laughs> that this was going to be how my season was going to end, um, where we didn't really you know, have a, a crash or a mistake on our part, um, just a, you know, something kind of freak happened. So yeah, I had a just had a lot of a lot of emotions, but um, it all it all worked out. We've seen Larson do a lot of amazing things behind the wheel, DJ. But where do you think this victory at the Roval ranks? Where to have the presence of mind to overcome not just a bad finish, but potentially his season just coming to an end and then coming all the way back to win the race? Yeah, yeah. I stopped by after we finished up with our post race show yesterday as we were walking out to head back to the TV compound, and and Larson was still in victory lane, and, and so I stopped by to congratulate him. I also saw his crew chief, Cliff Andrews, over there, and I wanted to tell him what an amazing job because they were just three pits from where our pit box was. So Kyle Petty and I sat there and watched all of this transpire, and the job that they did was just incredible. I realized that because of how long caution laps take at the Roval that they had plenty of time to do this or a lot more time to do this. Uh, but when you're in that situation, you don't know how much time, you know, the, the seconds are ticking, and, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, you might stay there till the very last minute, and then, but you've got no chance of regaining and being a part of the race. They did everything to perfection, but I asked Larson about that because I'd heard what he had said about how he was so down and this was going to take him out, and he kind of reiterated that same thing was telling me, and you could feel the emotion from yeah. him that, hey, this, was, this is where it was going. Now, I will tell you that I was sitting there on the pit box as they looked like they were going to be on the outside looking in uh, because I didn't think that they were going to this to a point that they could create enough points to to stay in the playoffs and I was going to get on my high horse because I believe they made a huge mistake at Talladega by the way that they approached that race yeah uh, and yeah. and I think that was I would have looked at that more than having a, a problem with the alternator belt coming off uh, yeah. and, and creating this issue there so uh, uh, but they came back and he, he did a masterful job I mean he pushed the issue driving the car once they got it repaired you know it probably set them up because it seemed that they started that race on a lot of the same schedules to where they were going to gather as many stage points as they could, knowing that would get them through. And then whatever the last stage gave them, that's what they were willing to take, which is basically giving up the idea of winning the race. Well, all of a sudden, they found themselves in a totally different situation, and it worked out to where they could battle for the win. And, you know, even though he used 
Denny up and, and, you know, didn't give him much asphalt to race on there. They really never hit. And, you know, there were a couple of times to where, you know, he got passed by the eight car trying to make a pass uh, for the lead. So, and he fought back uh, without ever really uh, ruffling anybody's feathers with that. So it was right. great driving by on his part. Yeah. And I think we saw a lot about like how he's emerged as a championship contender now at Hendrick DJ, because you're right. Like he had to force the issue a little bit. Yep. You know, he certainly went after it with Hamlin, but yet when he was racing for second with Reddick, you know, he said after the race when he was talking to Marty Snyder that, you know, no one is better under braking than yeah. Tyler Reddick, and, and he was careful. He didn't force the issue. It almost seemed like like, I feel like the Kyle Larson of like, say 2017 or 2016 would have yes. ended up on a spin or something there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is, but it seems like he's taken that next step. Well, good race cars help you to take that next yeah, step. That's <laughs> one thing, so that that's one. But but still, you have to make a conscious effort and you can see that he has done that uh, and, and understanding the driver to hear around instead of just going and driving to the total limits of your abilities which is kind of what Kyle Larson did coming into this sport uh, and that's what we love about him because he still does that a lot but he also thinks in certain situations now and I really thought when he was there in fourth and third that he could have just run it out and he would have been in the next round no problem you know don't push it don't put yeah. yourself in a position to where you might wheel hop or the guy behind you might run out of brakes all of a sudden or he's driven it in too far and uh, then all of a sudden you find yourself spinning out and with 30 cars on the lead lap all of a sudden you're on the outside looking in whenever it looks like you've made this miraculous de- uh, recovery with your team and-, and now you're on the outside looking in when you could have just taken it easy and that's just not his style and, and I appreciate what he did there yesterday by being aggressive but also understanding the situation and who he was racing with. Yeah, amazing job by him. And you mentioned Cliff Daniels and that team to replace an alternate air belt, which isn't easy. And <laughs> they practice this battle drills. They run through checklists to ensure they've got the proper parts for disastrous scenarios like this. So, And for, again, Chase Elliott's team, I mean, 300 cars having major problems and two of them recovering from it by, yeah. by just being well prepared. You know, Dale Earnhardt told me something in 1999 when I was racing for a championship. He's like, you know, you're, you're not going to remember where you won in your championship year probably. Uh, he said, unless you win the Daytona 500, then you're going to remember that. He said, but more than likely, you're not going to remember the races. He said, what you're going to remember are the days that it could have been a disaster and you could have lost at that time a lot of points, you know, that would have affected you and put you in a much different situation. He said, someday that you could have easily finished 25th, but all of a sudden you finished fifth and, and, and that's different. And, and I can remember those. And this could be that moment for Kyle Larson that, When they look, if they're the champions, when we finish at Phoenix in a few weeks, they'll look back and say, that could have been a disaster. Because if we don't get that belt on there, we might not finish the the race, at least in a position that we could advance. And unfortunately, on on the flip side of that, looking back, his teammate, William. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. 
So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Byron will remember this race, obviously, is one that got away. You mentioned it until that caution comes out for Elliott's bumper cover. William Byron's got this race under control. He seemed to have the fastest car. The restart with 20 laps to go. He's, I think, the second car on new tires in sixth. Reddick is in fifth, and he ends up colliding with Reddick in the backstretch chicane with with Chase Elliott there as well as they're all trying to get to Hamlin to to race for the lead. What did you make of William Byron's day and was he forcing the issue too much? I mean, he was obviously very angry at Reddick and Reddick apologized, but to me, like he had 20 laps to go at that point. It's easy for me to sit here and armchair quarterback on Monday, but it almost seemed as if he didn't quite apply the patience that Larson did. Yeah, I think that that in that situation, they, they were racing so tight there, and, and the racing on a road course like that is so different because of how you're turning left and right, the braking that you have to do, and, and everything that's going on around you. And I know he was just trying to get back to the front before he wore too much of his tires because he wanted to be in control of how he could do things. When you're in that tight of a situation, you're trying to make this happen as quickly as you possibly can. And the one thing that he didn't want to do in getting to that backstretch chicane was to overdrive his car and wheel hop it getting in and cost himself that opportunity. So he might have, did he check up a little bit sooner? Did he roll out of the throttle? Because they were still side by side. I mean, he right. had his teammate Larson right there, and, and I think Denny was the leader of the race, and, and right. so he you know he was trying to get to him as quick as he could. And, and so, and Reddick, as Larson pointed out, is as good at getting in the corner as anyone else. Uh, and so it, it was just, unfortunately, a... A uh, non-perfect scenario for him that that all of that happened at the at the wrong time for him. I I didn't really see him being overly aggressive. I thought he was doing what he needed to do. I I was amazed at the job that they did, the race that they ran. They put their driver in a position with a good race car, and he was doing everything right. And, and I'm still not saying he did anything wrong. Uh, it's just unfortunate that sometimes on these road courses you get, you know, you can be as careful as you want to be, and and uh, you find yourself on the wrong end of somebody's bumper at the wrong time. Yeah, when I watched it back this morning, I mean, he got the lead on Reddick going off of NASCAR Turn Two, heading yep. toward. And you're right, like at that point, it, what, what can you do? It's yep. it's a totally different animal than an oval where you can kind of back off and, and manage it yeah. a little bit. And I, I and to Reddick's defense, I know what he he didn't mean to do that. No, he wasn't trying no. to do that. But he had lost. All of a sudden, he was going from running second that, and then the twenty four passes him, and then all of a sudden you've got the five on your inside. Right. So he's right. just trying. He knows if he can get to that spot behind the twenty four there uh, into that corner, then the five's going to be on the wrong side coming uh, through that right. corner and right. going there. So he's thinking, okay, I at least got to end up third here instead of back in fourth. And he probably just overdrove the corner a little bit and. Not thinking that, hey, I'm getting ready to affect the playoffs. Right, and people want to bring that up. That like, oh, well, he's a non-playoff driver. Well, he was in the playoffs, first of all. He just yeah. got eliminated. He's going for his first win, sure. and he's running in the top five. Yeah. I mean, like, if he was a lap down, I'd have a problem with yeah. it. But to me, he's I don't fault him position. at all. No, that, yeah. that, that's one of those things that you, you you can try to put blame somewhere, and everybody wants to make a blame for everything that happens. But, you know, some of it's just racing, and, and these are competitive drivers uh, trying to do what they do, and, and especially a young man trying to get his first win yeah and uh certainly a lot of competition to come dj we'll wrap up here championship outlook after all the talk about four hendrick cars i'll plead guilty (laughs) uh advancing to the round of eight 
Now we've got three Penske cars, three Gibbs cars, two Hendrick cars. They're going to battle it out at Texas, Phoenix, Martinsville for the four spots at Phoenix. So how do you size up what's to come? Uh, Denny Hamlin and Kyle Larson is what I size up uh, when I look at this. We can talk about, I know Kyle Busch has been very good uh, at the tracks coming up uh, recently, but I think if, if you put... You know, Kyle Larson has been the best on these mile and a half in, in, in my mind, uh, even though at Las Vegas, uh, once he got back in the pack, they weren't able to recover. I think they had a terrible strategy there. I think they probably learned from that, and they'll be better uh, with their driver. But And Denny Hamlin's just been fantastic in these playoffs. I mean, you know, we all sat and wondered, why can't he win these races in those first 26? But he's put himself in position, and uh, I, I believe they're the two. They're, they're going to battle it out, I believe, uh, when we get to Phoenix. And, you know, it's a, it's a matter of who else is going to jump in there? You know, who are going to be those other two? I yeah. really believe that I, I'm pretty sure that Larson and Denny are probably going to win uh, one of these three races each. So that's going to leave one other for somebody to win, and it might not even be a playoff driver the way this thing's going. But, uh, <laughs> you know, who, who Who's going to gather enough points? Who can do that? I, I think if you look at it, you, you have to believe. I think Ryan Blaney is going to surprise a lot of people. I think that he could win one of these next two races. I know Martinsville's not his best shot, but I think that uh, one of these next two mile and a half, he's the Penske driver that I look at and say that, that could possibly win one of the next two. Definitely somebody to keep an eye on. I agree with you. I mean, Larson and Hamlin, I mean, six races, they've got four victories. Yeah. Certainly feels like we'll see them again in victory lane. And also we'll be keeping an eye, of course, on Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick. <laughs> see what's to come there. DJ, uh, always a pleasure to have you on the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Nate. Our thanks again to Dale Jarrett for joining us on the NASCAR on NBC podcast. Always appreciate DJ's insight and his time. Another great episode with the NASCAR Hall of Famer. Thanks, as always, to NASCAR on NBC producers Ryan Burke, Emily Conboy, and Aaron Feldstein for helping coordinate the guests and the recording of the NASCAR and NBC podcast. The NASCAR and NBC podcast is available wherever you download podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review to help spread the word. And you can also catch the video version of the NASCAR and NBC podcast that we tape at the NASCAR America Motormouth Studios in Charlotte. That's on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube page. And any feedback that you have on the NASCAR NBC podcast, you can send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.